Father, thank you for the Word of God. Um, pray you'd help us today uh, to, to figure out what does it look like to love? How do we, how do, we do that? Uh, even just saying the word love, it brings uh, a conviction. It brings uh, a sense of our inability. So Lord, as we listen, uh, we pray that you would uh, be among us in such a way that you would convince us that you're speaking to us. Uh, bring your authority in such a way that it would, we're bound to you, that we, we have no other place to go, and that's a good thing. And in the name of Christ we pray, amen. Okay, uh, we are in a series in the book of Galatians. What we're going to do is uh, look at uh, some aspects of this passage from Galatians 5, uh, 7 through 15. Uh, and then we're going to take a break, uh, go into an Advent theme uh, for uh, the next four uh, Sundays, and including Christmas Eve night. Uh, the theme is going to be on a, a subject called the announcement. So we're going to go through uh, the big picture of the Bible's uh, wonderful truth that God announces the coming of a Savior, and we're going to kind of track that through through Scripture, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, so, as we look at this uh, this text, as we look at the idea of preaching this morning, um, really, I want you to be reminded of what's called the means of grace. Uh, we arrive this morning uh, imperfect in our faith. Uh, we arrive this morning uh, struggling to believe. Um, that is actually part of the normal Christian life. Um, we might think it's a, a victorious life, and, and it is, but it's also a life that struggles. And uh, so God, in his good grace, has given us the means of grace. And that is that these are normal-looking things, uh, like speech, talking. Uh, it looks fairly normal here. Um, but God supernaturally intervenes so that it is not just speech. It has a divine power. Um, and so when we celebrate baptism or the Lord's Supper, um, that's not just not wine or bread. Uh, we believe that is powerfully representing the promises of God to us, and those promises are affirmed to us. They are, we are strengthened. It's not just eating. See? It's something much, much more profound is going on. And so God uses the means of grace. For instance, even our fellowship, uh, it might seem sort of normal to you, kind of explainable on a human level, but really our fellowship is supernatural in origin. And God uses your giftedness in the body of Christ. Your, your being a Christian uh, strengthens those around you, particularly when you engage them with the one another's of Scripture, you are consciously aware that this is a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ. I have something to say to them. I can edify them, build them up. So this is, what's going on here is the means of grace. So I want to just remind you of that. Now last week I introduced a subject um, that I think is remarkably profound, and that is that we have entered into a, and this is going to sound a little, uh, little, woo, uh, We've entered into a new age. Um, 
and I realize there's a there's teachings and strange books that have already co-opted that phrase, the New Age movement, right? Well, we've entered into a new age. That is, that when Jesus rose from the dead and left the grave clothes behind, um, what happened was that in the resurrection, the age that was has been, for all intents and purposes, for all those who believe in Jesus, that age is now over. Now, that might quite sound very strange if you have had uh, a diagnosis where your health has had many challenges or you feel uh, like, uh, boy, I don't really feel like the age to come is part of my life. I have many struggles. I have afflictions. I have trials. But as you read your Bible, the short little, little phrase, in Christ, in Christ, shows up. And it's something we skip over. The phrase in Christ is this remarkable new age that has intersected into this age of woe and trouble, age of terrorism, age of sorrow, age of tears, age of death. And I sought to illustrate it a bit last week with uh, something like Gutenberg's press when the movable type was actually able to make an imprint on a page and uh, Gutenberg in the 14, 1450 uh, created the first uh, Bible that was not the product of just handwritten, but it was a movable typeface, uh, remarkable, and the production of books began to be a normal part of our life. Or uh, December 17, 1903, those uh, boys who worked in a bicycle shop, uh, Orville and Wilbur, were experimenting with their glider, and they came up with an engine to put on, put on the plane, and they flew 112 feet. And the age of flight began. Or in 1964, the MIT professors who were beginning this conversation between computers from Massachusetts to California, 1964, computers were talking to each other, the digital age. When Jesus rose from the dead, something remarkable happened that all those who have faith in him, it, it is remarkable. And here is the, the truth that Jesus taught so clearly that he had the authority to forgive sins. We may be used to this language in the church, but this to declare that a, a human being walking this earth had the authority to forgive sins uh, no one does that. And the Pharisees knew that no one does that. You would have to be claiming to be God to do that because God alone can forgive sins. And Jesus said, that's why I'm here. I want to introduce you to, me, to who I am. And we all know and understand and, and believe that there's a day coming called Judgment Day. And what Jesus does is that this age to come the day of judgment, the day of the future, comes crashing into this age now. In the declaration that your sins can be forgiven. You can know now what the future will reveal. Again, we may be comfortable or even used to these ideas that, yes, by believing in Jesus, my sins are forgiven. 
that is radical. It is, it is a really big change of mindset in relationship between a human being and God that you can know now what the future will reveal. And I want to I encourage you that that is the core of the gospel, that you have so been so loved, so well received by God, that God is not going to um, reject you, that his son has done such a work that you can be assured that you have a, a seat at the great stadium you have a place at the great banquet at the end of the end of end of the age. You have an invitation to the uh, the wedding feast of the Lamb at the end of the age. All of that is summarized in the two word English phrase, "in Christ." So, now this morning our subject is the idea of love, and Paul is really summarizing his arguments for um, his epistle to the Galatians. And he is exhorting the Galatians to ethical behavior, uh, to obedience. And uh, I want to make this clear that when we in the church talk about grace, grace is not opposed to obedience. Grace actually fuels and uh, strengthens obedience. And so the foundation of our lives is our being received by God, being accepted by God. And we are, what that does is that undermines the motivations for, to sin. Okay? Um, and it creates in us such an appreciation for God, such an overwhelming joy uh, of thankfulness that we now know our Heavenly Father's heart toward us and our desires at the core level uh, are changed. That doesn't mean we don't struggle with an area called the flesh. But at the core, the gospel is changing our motivational structure. Motivational structure, okay? Okay. So it's good news uh, that begins the Christian life, and it's good news that continues the Christian life. And as we began the Christian life by faith in Christ alone, now we move by faith into growing and maturing in Christ. So let's take a look at Galatians 5, and uh, let's explore this a bit. Verse 7. I want to frame this by saying that I want you to think of this apostle, Paul. The apostle office was a very unique office. We do not believe um, in the PCA. We don't hold that apostles are running around on the earth today. It was a unique, once-in-a-generation gift, uh, an office of the church. Apostles were uniquely authorized to speak on behalf of God and the gospel. But I want you to think in terms of Paul as as a pastor in this passage here. I want you to think of someone who is grieved that their flock has been disturbed. Their flock has been messed with. 
right? Now, it's God's flock, it's not theirs, but I want you to let, let that sort of frame these, the, these words here. This is a pastor's heart crying out uh, to his people, and he's trying to protect them. Protect them uh, from, from a couple of things, we'll look at that. You were running well, verse 7. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Okay, everybody get the sense of what's going on here? The truth is the gospel. The truth is the whole, the whole package of salvation. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. The one who calls you, calls you by grace. He doesn't burden you uh, with multiple things to do in order to be accepted. The Galatians were falling into the heresy of legalism. In their particular day, they were being influenced by Jews who were claiming to be Christians, who were also putting Jewish customs and laws upon the church. You're not a true Christian unless you do this. And then verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's really kind of a proverb of the day. Now it's in our, it's in our uh, vernacular today. So a little bit of legalism, <clears throat> a little bit of legalism can really mess things up. A little bit of legalism can lose, cause you to lose your joy, cause you to doubt, cause you to be insecure, cause you to be unsure about what God thinks of you. All right. Verse 10, though, with all Paul's warnings, with all his concerns for the Galatians, he believes this. This is a beautiful statement. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. May have been an individual person. Feels a little bit larger than that, but Paul has in mind a particular person, does not name him. But he also affirms that the work that God has begun in the Galatians, uh, he is sure that they will come around to grace again. Grace alone again. And then there's a, a little ex- excursion here into, uh, again, more, more of Paul's defense of himself. There was the accusation that Paul was really afraid of telling Gentiles that they needed to be circumcised. And that at one time, Paul's gospel included this. This is the accusation. So Paul counters this accusation in verse 12. Excuse me, verse 11. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Persecuted by the Judaizers, these who followed Paul and were pressing people with Jewish customs to conform to In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. The offense of the cross is the presentation that an individual does not contribute to their salvation. The offense of the cross is your religious pursuits have amounted to nothing. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had to tell a religious person that, (laughs) but... Uh, it can be quite a challenging thing. Um, also, people who are irreligious, 
who have no formal religion at all. Uh, they have a, another religion, but it's a little, more, little, little bit more loose. Uh, irreligious people, um, um, by and large, are walking around with a sense that they are going to be okay on Judgment Day, particularly when they compare themselves to that church-going neighbor that they have next door. And uh, sometimes their skewed understanding of Christians uh, can uh, give them a warped understanding of their status before God, that they are elevating themselves uh, in such a way, comparing themselves to other people. And that's not going to work on Judgment Day. The idea that you need a mediator, the idea that you need a savior, uh, for us in the church, we're used to that language. Right? We're used to that. We're here. We're, we love Jesus. We know our, we know our need. Um, for a person to come to that place where they need a mediator, uh, that is a supernatural work. Um, one time we had a memorial service here, um, and uh, a lady was here. Um, she... Uh, during the, the dinner afterwards, she, uh, people always corner the pastor. You know that? They, they corner the pastor. And uh, they, they want, they've been waiting, and they got their zinger, you know. So uh, she, uh, she turns to me and she says, uh, I want you to know I don't need a mediator. And uh, she was a Unitarian, um, which... You know, it's all they, we, we're so open-minded that we can just accept anyone's whatever, right? You can read Shakespeare, you can read poetry, you can whatever, right? It's the Unitarian Church. So she said, I, we don't, I, don't, I want you to know I don't need a mediator. So I'm there, you know, getting my macaroni. I said, well, I hope you never sin. Have a great day. So there's a remarkable boldness among religious people and irreligious people. And when you think about the cross, for us, we wonder, how could the cross be offensive? How could it be offensive? It's offensive. So the Judaizers are offended that all their religiosity is, doesn't count for anything. Um, now look at verse 13. And I'm going to focus here. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Okay. Now I've skipped verse 12. You see verse 12? Why don't you read it there? Let the impact of verse 12 hit you. Didn't mean to skip it. I, but I want you to say, know that this is a pastor who is who is zealous for his flock. The ESV translates it this way. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Now, you realize circumcision involves cutting, right? So the implication here is, well, why don't you go all the way? Let's back off a bit. The ESV translators... And I do not at all pretend to be an expert in Greek or translation. 
But in Bible words, and even in English, in most languages, I think all languages, there is what's called a semantic range. So if on the North Shore, a surfer is walking along the beach and says, today was a cool day, what does he mean? Is he talking about weather? Uh-uh, I see a lot of people shaking their heads. Okay. If a weatherman is walking along the North Shore and says, today was a cool day, what does he mean or she mean? They're talking about waves? Semantic range relates to the use and meaning of a term. And this term or word or verb does mean cut off. But it is most likely meant to be cut off socially, cut off from the fellowship. It is a reference to a legalist who is unrepentant, causing great havoc in a congregation or a church or a region, needs to be removed from the congregation. It is a parallel to 1 Corinthians 5 of an individual who was uh, involved in incest. The Apostle Paul gave the Corinthians a direct instruction on what to do with this unrepentant person. So it is a cry from the Apostle Paul, an expression of his pastoral heart, that what ought to be done is an excommunication. That is, we can talk about that over coffee afterwards, all right? It's quite a remarkable verse, isn't it? It tells us about God's passion for his people, that they would be uh, safe in the grace that he has given in the cross and not disturbed. You're called to freedom, but do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, verse 13. The flesh is interesting. Uh, We're going to learn about that um, on the other side of of Advent. The flesh is described in 519. uh, A lot of descriptions for it there in 519. Um, The flesh is... uh, There's a couple of different ways it goes. Um, When we think of the flesh, you might usually think in terms of uh, maybe sensuality, carnality, maybe those terms come to mind. Uh, The flesh here in the Galatian epistle is religious flesh. It is self-righteous flesh. It is flesh that is prideful. It's the way that I conduct myself that is selfishly oriented to my own world, my own uh, achievements, my own success, my own, my own, my own. It is a flesh that is now taking advantage of, quote, freedom in Christ. It basically means that, well, yes, I'm forgiven, but now I am going to just live a selfish life. And Paul says, no, that is not the call of the gospel. The gospel is the call to serve one another and let love be the motivating reason why you serve. Let's read on and uh, take a look at this. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, 
that you are not consumed by one another. That verse probably needs no commentary. Uh, the church um, can often be a difficult place, um, and the flesh in the church is something that we all, you can sort of have individual flesh, and I guess you can have a kind of a corporate flesh. Um, and uh, probably doesn't need much commentary to realize that. Um, the flesh can be active among us. So what do we have here, the call, the call to love? What does love, what does love look like? I'm going to just say one key thing, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Um, love needs energy. Uh, love needs energy. Uh, if you're married here, uh, aren't you a little surprised that it's hard to love? Um, if you're not married here, you might be asking, yeah, how can they not love each other? You know, how's that possible? I'm looking forward to this kind of love. I, I can't wait for this to happen. You see, what we anticipate when we hear the word love is, and particularly uh, this beautiful thing called marriage, we think of a constancy of love. We think of someone I am so aligned with, I am so in love with, I am so, it's just, it's, we're together in this thing that we are going to make it, we're going to make it because we have what it's going to take to be married. And every marriage is going to be challenged. Every marriage is going to discover that there isn't always the energy to love. In church life, you're going to notice that uh, there isn't always the energy to love. Where are you going to get the energy to love? I I get the exhortation. I see it here in Galatians 5. I, I, I read it like you do. What is, what is the energy to love? Where, where does it come from? And I think just very simply, it is, if we take Galatians 5, 6 seriously, the only thing that matters is faith working through love. There's, if there's a disconnect in my love for you, there's a disconnect in my faith. And so... Uh, I am called, you are called to love people who are different than you, who are, may represent a problem to you, may represent a difficulty to you. Quickly, your human love is going to be dissolved. Where are you going to get the energy to love? It has a direct relationship to your faith. And the love that you are expressing is coming from outside of you. It's coming from outside of you. And so it is vital that really, here's the takeaway, and then I'm done, is that when we say faith expressing itself through love, are you aware of how little you love throughout the day? I'm not talking about Sunday morning or, or, or a moment when you're feeling good or a moments of feeling okay about yourself and the love you're giving. I'm talking about the real, the real expression of love for people who are not patient with you, people who are not listening to you, people who are not with you, 
people who are not cooperative with you, people who are not engaged with you, people who do not want to be around you, people who are boring, people who are, 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 and you are going to find a world that is so different than you that you will be tempted to become a hermit. And you will find plenty of evidence in other people to not express love. So what is faith? Faith is a cry of the heart 194 times a day. Faith is a cry of the heart consistently, regularly. Lord, I need your strength, your spirit, your power, your gospel to be alive in me. Our experience of love is intermittent. It's like an electrical signal. The light's shorting out. It is intermittent, and that is the way it is. We are sometimes able to move in the power of love, and sometimes we are not. That's why we need the means of grace. That's why you need to be built up. That's why you need to be convinced over and over and over again that God truly loves you. God has given you promises. God has given you resources in the cross. Take the cover of our worship folder. Take the cover of our worship folder. That's there for a reason. That is you. It is wrapping your arms around the cross. That is a picture of desperation. And it is perfectly okay my perspective, from the perspective of the elders here, that you can confess, it's hard for me to love. I'm part of that congregation. It's hard for me to love. The answer is, of course. The standard is so high. We are to love others as we love ourselves. Is anybody ready to repent? And this is what spiritual growth is. It is the standards here, God. Yes, it is. I have a cross. Yes, you do. I'm going to repent. Because the resources you've given me in the cross have got to be enough. And it's the unbelief of my heart. It's not in how difficult they are. It's in the unbelief in my heart. And folks, the cross is stable. The cross is strong. The cross is not going anywhere. God is not going to be flippant, flippant in, his, uh, in his love for you. God is not going to be just, he's not going to snap at you. He's not going to just suddenly, he's not, he's not emotionally uh, up and down like you are. He is constant in his love for you, and he is constant in the power he's providing you, and now it is the cry of the heart throughout the day. Faith is a cry of the heart. It is a cry of weakness. It's a cry of weakness. And right there, just like you were weak when you first saw the cross, just like you were weak when you first realized your need for Jesus, you are now experiencing yet another weakness that brings that power to bear in your heart.
pray for me. I don't love naturally. I don't love, I, I don't love, uh, I, I don't have the ability to love. How about that? I don't have it. It is only by embracing the cross that I'm given this remarkable, powerful love. Uh, I'll pray for you too. Let's pray. Lord, how do we engage this power? How do we access it? I think of the students, are you uh, at Manoa campus, UH Manoa? Oh, I think of all the, all the desires they have to find love, to be in love. Father, think of the world, aware that love